Simple Suttas, a podcast on original Buddhism. Visit us at simplesuttas.wordpress.com. Okay, so today the topic is Majima 2, All the Taints. Or the Sabasava, is that Sabasava, yeah. All right, hey, I guessed right that time. There you go. So I think Saba is in Sabe, meaning all, and mm-hmm. Asava. And I, uh, we'd had the long conversation on Asava last mm-hmm. time we talked about yeah, the exact, yeah. Uh, yeah, what do you think of taint? What do you think of fermentation? What do you think of... I, I really like fermentation. If you can, <laughs> like, you know, if you can grok it, so to speak, it's it's uh, pretty solid. I really like that guy's explanation and those uh, Nibbana sermons. The thing I like about it is that it's it's distinctive, yeah. you know, and the, there's all these kind of similar words, uh, uh, you know, that, uh, that, that people use, like... Um, defilements and things like that but there are the, but there are a bunch of different poly words yeah so if you try to have a different English word for all the different synonyms you just run out of English words right yeah so you end up with strange ones the thing I don't like about it is that if you just read something that says fermentations you have no idea what it means it I might mean, as well be awesome about it. right <laughs> in in uh, Visuti Maga it's uh, is my, am I pronouncing that right I yeah, don't know yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, it's uh, I think cankers is yeah. the way that, you know <laughs> And I remember reading that and be like, okay, wait, is that physical sores? What? Because like, I got, you know, that was actually one of the first texts as I got interested in uh, in older Buddhism, you know, uh, and, and like literally I just typed in like, what are the oldest Buddhist texts? And it came up with Visuddhimagga. Visuddhimagga was one of the wow. first things that came up. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to start reading this. And I was like, what is <laughs> going on? I am so confused. Um, yeah, and so that was the destruction of the cankers was the way, you know, yeah. I, uh, I was, uh, where was it? It was, I was talking, reading that, um, you know, the asava is a term also used in Jainism. Really? Yeah, yeah, and you know, Jainism was contemporary the, uh, with Buddhism, mm-hmm. but then like a little bit earlier, like a mm-hmm. generation earlier. And um, my understanding is that asava is... Uh, sort of like the f- uh, almost physical manifestation of kama mm. that uh, that you you know for for you know th- this may not be an, a, a sure, good yeah. representation of the Jains, yeah. but at least the Buddhist understanding of what the Jains believed sure, yeah, yeah. was that there was no good kama exactly, but rather there was bad kama that would be um, almost physical inflowing of asava hmm. uh, that, that would stick to your soul yeah, in yeah. a certain way. And then you have to burn it off. And you have to burn it off. So yeah. then you end up with people, you know, starving themselves to death. And yeah. So and like that was literally, I mean, that was the end of their path was that like you, you literally, you do, you just starve yourself slowly to death. Yeah. 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 It's the, you know, if you like look at world religions and think, which one is going to last in the modern times? <laughs> That would not be the one that you would think would make it. <laughs> I think it's still around. It is. I mean, it absolutely it is. is. That's yeah. why it's uh, it's kind of amazing that yeah. uh, that uh, something so extreme could uh, yeah. could last. But uh, I'm sure they look at us and think the same thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, so so maybe what happened was. Jains are using the term asava, mm-hmm. and the, you know the Buddha is always like repurposing other yes, people's terms. Absolutely, you yeah. know, like um, the one was uh, like uh, Arya, you know. Mm-hmm. So the, the 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 Brahmin conception of Arya was, you know, both your mother and your father back yes. seven generations were born yep. in your pure birth, and Aryans were the pure, you know, mm-hmm. lineage. And so the Buddha comes along and says, "Oh yes, of course, I believe this uh, this thing too." 
Um, but what what I mean is, yeah. <laughs> are you virtuous? Are you good? Yeah. Are you you know? Could you really be an Arya and be unvirtuous? Well, no. Well, not. probably not. Yeah. Does it really matter if you're good? Well, I guess not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and before you know it, Arya means something completely different. Yeah. So so maybe that was the thing with Asava that we look at the the derivation and think it's very confusing. Inflow, yeah. outflow. What does it mean? Yeah. Maybe it was just that he had you know intentionally twisted the meaning to mean yeah. something a little a little different. Absolutely. I heard one too. What was it? It was um, something like, uh, oh, oh, sinful proclivity. Oh, <laughs> I know. And it, you don't like the Man, word sin. Man, is that loaded? It, well, it is. It is. And you know, the part of the trick is to find a word that is is bad enough because an asava isn't just like, oh, you know, a little picadillo. You know, right, it's, yeah. it's it's really bad. But on the other hand, sin has such a you know particular connotation. But what I do like about it is that proclivity thing because it's not it's not the same as bad comma. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not um, it, it's not the bad thing that you've already done. Mm-hmm. It's the bad thing that you're tempted to do. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know, maybe defiled proclivity. <laughs> but then you're getting to you know <laughs> the most torturous phrasing you exactly, possibly can. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Maybe it just needs to be another one like comma and nibbana. Yeah. We just use the term. Exactly. Yeah. The more the more I read this stuff, the more I'm just like. Oh, sati. Sati is what we're talking about there. Oh, okay. Right. Varia is what we're talking about here. That's yeah. exactly yeah. right, because there, there are a bunch of English words that kind of fit and don't yeah. really fit. Yeah. Yeah, e- even the word mindfulness, it, it, part of the reason it's, it works is because it's a word that we all kind of think we know what it means, mm-hmm. but it's not something that we use uh, all the time. Right. You know. Um, well, I mean, and even sometimes, uh, too, it's not defined as mindfulness in the way that's getting floated around. I mean, sometimes it certainly is. Right, uh, just alert awareness in any time that you're doing anything. But other times it is just uh, literally defined as the quality of remembering whatever you've heard, even if you heard it very long time ago. Um, right, you right. Know. <laughs> yeah. They have these uh, secondary meanings. Yeah, keeping it in mind, you know, keeping things in mind, the ability to keep things in mind, even if they were spoken very long ago. And so it's like, well, that's, you know, you look at the popular mindfulness movement and it, like they don't even talk None about that. close to that. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of one of the uh, alternate definitions for asava is uh, the scum on uh, uh, on after you've cooked rice. That's, oh. that's uh, rice water. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, which uh, I don't think has anything to do with this sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it just is a funny coincidence. <laughs> yeah, I, I, with uh, with mindfulness, it's uh, well, that's a whole different topic. But it yeah. is it, it is possible that that's really important. I, you know, my little pet theory is that the fourth foundation is, is misunderstood. Mm-hmm. And really what it's meant to be is a meditation on, um, you, uh, on, on the suttas, basically, mm-hmm. that you memorize, remember them, and uh, bring them to mind. And that's what you're yeah. meditating on. That's, yeah, I mean, it's because it does. It's dhammas is the word, right? Right, right. Yeah. 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 Well, back to, uh, <laughs> back to this. I found uh, three different translations online. Uh, there's the uh, the one in uh, Sutta Central, the Bhikkhu Bodhi version, and there's one on uh, uh, Access to Insight, the Timisro version. I think that was the one I was reading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then I also found one on uh, this Awake website, hmm. and I tried my darndest to find out who the translator was, and basically what it says is, we found this on the internet and don't know who it is. <laughs> so I also found it on the internet and don't know who it is. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> and then just for fun, I, uh, I tried to do the, uh, the simple sutta version of it, which okay. I'll, uh, I'll probably post with this site, which cool. uh, you probably know I, you know I try to use as simple language as possible, remove some of the, the repetitions. Repetitions, cut it down, yeah. Cut it and, and, and you know, just kind of uh, make it as 
as easy to read as possible. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I usually have to kind of go through several passes at it. So this is my, <laughs> my first pass. Cool. I also looked at some other uh, versions entirely. Um, so there is another sutta in the Pali Canon that is almost identical, the really? Asava Sutta and the Anguttarakaya. Really? Is, yeah. Okay. I didn't actually realize this until this morning. I was kind of uh, looking through some stuff. And it is almost exactly the same. There's one missing. Right? There's one missing. Yeah. Exactly right. Knowing and seeing. Mm -hmm. the, the, the first one. Yeah. The one that it kind of makes the biggest deal about <laughs> is, uh, is, is missing. And actually, uh, I think when we read it, the, the, uh, I, I want to bring up the possibility that this sutta kind of glues two different things together. Hmm. Because the knowing and seeing maybe is uh, awkwardly squished together with the other ones. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure, but, 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 but possibly. And then I also pulled up the, um, the Chinese Agama version. Really? Yeah. Do you, do you know about this? you know about the Agamas? I mean, I know that they exist. I have not uh, in any way researched or read them. I know that they're there, but... Uh, yeah. Well, I um, uh, have tried to do a, to a bit of that. You know, my wife mm -hmm. is Chinese, and I, I thought maybe that would be a, a, an interesting thing. And mm -hmm. so I, I've been reading a bit about the Agamas and uh, uh, maybe just to, you know, the the the... the Nikayas and the Agamas are sort of the same thing, mm -hmm. you know, with the Nikayas in Sri Lanka and the Agamas in Chinese. Apparently, the original word was Agama, so even in mm -hmm. India, the older word was Agama rather than Nikaya. Hmm. Um, the Chinese uh, Agamas are almost the same, right? So they have... That's what I've heard, yeah. Yeah, they have the Dirga Agama, the Majima Agama, uh, it's the Akotra Agama, it's the Vangutra Nikaya, and so they have the, the same collections, uh, but they're... They're different, as you would expect, right? Yeah. So for one thing, you know, the uh, the Pali version that we have, we think, mm -hmm. is just the original version from India coming down to mm -hmm. to uh, uh, Sri Lanka. The Chinese version was in Pali, translated to Sanskrit, really? taken to China, wow. translated into early Chinese in like the first through the fourth century, something like that. Wow. And then the version I'm reading, of course, is in English, so it's right. a, a further translation. So you can see that they're the same, but there's also a lot of... Uh, little differences as well. Yeah. I'll read you just a little bit of the uh, of the beginning of each and you can hear the difference. So the, uh, the, the English translation of the Pali says, Thus I have heard on one occasion the Blessed One was living at Savati in Jetta's Grove, Anadapindika's Park. There he addressed the bhikkhus. Thus, bhikkhus, venerable sir, they replied. And the Blessed One said this. And in the, uh, the Majima Agama 10 version of it, it says... Uh, thus I have heard once the Buddha was traveling among the Kurus and stayed at a town there named Karma Sadharma. Hmm. At that time, the world-honored one addressed the bhikshus. It is by knowing and seeing that the outflows are ended. So uh, quite a different beginning. Very different, yeah. Yeah. And apparently, it's the beginnings that are the most likely to be different. Hmm. That uh, um, apparently what happened was very often they didn't actually record where they were given mm. and it was only sometime later that they thought oh man we need to we should really yeah right interesting yeah so for some of them they have a really specific and interesting and kind of weird place yeah and so you think well that was probably yeah. original right? yeah but then just zillions of them have the one uh sabati and right yeah, yeah, yeah apparently there's even like a a text somewhere that tells the the the, the bhikkhus 
if you forget where it was, just say Savatir. <laughs> <laughs> so I suspect that's what happened here. Sure. It was actually uh, more like in the Agama version where they were in the Kurus in a town named Karmasadharma because I'd yeah. never heard of that. And that it's, at some point that got lost in the, uh, in the Nikaya version. And so we're back to Savatir. Back <laughs> right to Savatir. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, that, you can't know that, but mm-hmm. uh, it seems reasonable. The other thing, uh, this is kind of a side mm-hmm. side path, but is, is kind of interesting about the differences, is that, you know, at first people thought maybe they were just the same. Mm-hmm. And then they looked at them and thought maybe they're totally different because of differences yeah. like this. But also there are suttas that are in one that are not in the other yeah. and so on. But apparently what happened was, like in, in India, you know, the first few centuries mm-hmm. of Buddhism, they all had the same kinds of collections but exactly which sutta was in which collection was different in different places. Mm-hmm. So like in Sri Lanka, you might have a sutta in the Majima Agama, but in you know Pakistan, it might be in the Viga Agama, or in you know, northern mm-hmm. India, it might be in a okay. different place. So when they, when they got the texts to, uh, to China to translate, yeah. they weren't all from the same place. Mm-hmm. In fact, apparently they were all from different places. Every single collection was from a different school. Yeah. So if you had a collection where... It was in one place in one school, another place in another school. It might not appear at all in Chinese. Wow. And also there are some that are only in Chinese. Hmm. And then the question is, how similar is it to something that's in Pali? And, uh, right. So it doesn't seem like there are any big differences in teaching, but how they're collected and where they sure. where they happened were, were different. I, I guess the other thing that kind of comes to mind, too, that's interesting is uh, we always have, uh, you know, sometimes we start in one place and then, you know, the Buddha... As if a strong man were to uh, stretch in his extended arm or, you know, extend his flexed arm, appears in a completely different place. And that's interesting to me that, like, you know, maybe there's some of that going on where, like, oh, we don't really know where this goes. But we know that this part is here, right? Right. This person was staying here. And so, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, this is, you know, this is, I don't know how fruitful a rabbit hole it is, but it is kind of interesting. I mean, you know, there's some suttas, you read them, like, in the Ingutra, or or Samyutta, Mm -hmm. and you think, this could be one sutta, or it could be a bunch. So is it a bunch of really small ones? Right. Or is it a, a one you know, big one, because it's all the same thing. You, know, you might have 10 suttas in a row, yeah. and one word is different. Yeah. And does it make any sense to call them one or 10? Right, or, yeah. You know, who knows how it was originally spoken? And uh, th- then things like, you know, of course, it was probably not spoken exactly like this. Yeah. But there's a lot of these things that are like, you know, mnemonics for people that were chanting that were mm-hmm. more useful. I suspect that the Theravadins loved additional repetitions because mm. uh, they could chant for longer without having to memorize stuff. <laughs> <laughs> or, or it could help with memory or, or, or whatever. Well, I don't know. I mean, like some of them, you know, it's interesting because uh, my wife just got me the uh, Walsh uh, Dignikaya. Oh, right. right. And, uh, and I've been reading that. And, uh, you know, for example, uh, one of my favorite suttas is Samadapala. And... Right. Um, I have gone through online and even every single time the repetition is taken out, out loud, sat there and read it to myself. Yeah. And then, you know, I just read the, the Walsh version. And uh, when I read all of the repetitions and if I read it out loud to myself, that is like, I swear that that second, uh, that second sutta in the Deacon there, it's like an amazing symphony. It has just this incredible build until the very, very end, and then there's this huge climax, and then this, you know, denouement, hmm. and uh, un, absolutely unbelievable. And um, I feel like when you take out the repetition, um, you just lose some of that power. It's like you just bing, bang, boom, you're done, you're through it. 
you know, but man, I mean, you sit down, I mean, and, and uh, this is, I guess that's been part of my practice recently is, is just literally going, sitting down, picking one out and then reading it out loud to myself with every single repetition, doesn't matter how long it takes. And some of those things take 45 minutes or an hour, but man, by the time you get through it, it is just absolutely incredible. And I mean, especially something like uh, Samanapala, you've literally gone through every single step of the path. Um, you know, Brahmajala, you read that one and you have completely eliminated every possible view that could be held by anybody <laughs> throughout history, past, <laughs> present, future, right? I mean, and it's just absolutely, and I, for me, a really incredible experience. I think you're on to something with it being musical, that, uh, you know, you there's this expectation in uh, literature that you don't repeat yourself. Yeah. You know, in fact, you go through and, oh, I use that same word in another sentence, get rid of it, right? Yeah. But with music, you... you Repetition is absolutely necessary. Without repetition, music is nonsensical. Yeah, and I think that's it exactly. I think that it was uh, that uh, you know, in the same way that lyric poetry is should be connected to music. Yeah, yeah. That this is not connected to music, but is almost like taking the place of music. You know, monks were not supposed to have uh, musical instruments. We're not supposed yeah, to sing. Definitely. So this this yeah. has a little bit of that psychological impact. Yeah, and then I mean, not only that too. It's just like. You know, if you read through and he says, okay, you know, uh, form, any form, I can't remember which one this is, but he says, any form, past, present, or future, uh, internal or external, near, far away, or in the middle, subtle or gross, uh, sublime or ordinary, any form whatsoever cannot be seen as permanent in any way, right? And then he goes, because it can't be seen as permanent, it has to be right? It's, it's subject to suffering. If it's subject to suffering, it doesn't deserve to be called a self, right? Well, now if you just go, okay, same with feeling, perceptions, intentions, consciousness, boom! Uh, yep, enlightened now! <laughs> right? I think there's part of that, that repetition that, I mean, even, uh, in, even as a musician, right? How many times, uh, when I'm actually performing something, I practically don't even know where I am, <laughs> right? What? It's, no, I'm just like, like just kind of blank in the mind, letting the body do its thing. I mean, I know where I am in the structure of music, but if I actually, like, when I'm playing any note, I have no idea what note that is. Oh, if you're thinking about right? it too hard, it, uh, oh, it doesn't work. Oh, it completely doesn't work, right, right, right? And so, you know, that repetition, all those, that, that time that I've spent getting it in my mind at a very deep level, right, huge part of that's been repetition. And I think the same thing with the teachings. The teachings, you know, they're for our lives, right? And how many times... Have we read, oh, uh, feeling is not self, and then, you know, somebody says something nasty to us, which is just, just you know, ex explicitly addressed in this sutta. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like, I don't care if feelings myself or not, <laughs> I'm going to let this guy have it, right? Yeah. And, and out go the teachings, right? And so I think that repetition that, like, you know, and uh, I had a buddy once say, oh, what's the point of meditation? Why do you do that? I said, well, uh, you know, it would be ridiculous for me to go give a performance um, ever having practiced that would be be a foolish endeavor right um, it might impress people or whatever but it, for me I know that it'd be garbage and so you know for me this is this is practice I go to a place where there's nothing to bother me except for my own thoughts there's no you know kind of sense impingement or anything and I'm sitting there and then I figure out okay in this place completely withdrawn from all these you know things that are impinging on my senses bothering me how can I get the mind to a really calm place? Yeah. Okay, now as you know, now as things get amped up, you know, you don't start with the most difficult situation first, but okay, you know, 
here I am sitting at this red light and I'm late. <laughs> How do I calm myself? Okay, now there's there's a little bit of inflow here, right? There's a little <laughs> bit of, of impingement on my mind. How do I calm from that place? You know, until eventually you're like, okay, now my child has died, and how do I calm my mind from that place? Right. You know, right? And so it's like it's just this idea that you're working to more and more difficult things until eventually, supposedly, you know, you don't have to work anymore. But <laughs> well, that that's a perfect uh, connection to this sutta. That's yeah. exactly what we're talking about. Instead of uh, you know, you you can look at all of these practices from the positive side, like I'm you know, I'm building up my, you know, skillful practice toward Nibbana, or you can look at it as I'm getting rid of these, uh, also sure. these unwholesome aspects uh, to, to get to the pure, you know, uh, uh, understanding of something. Yeah. So that's, this one is more that second version, pu- mm-hmm. purification, which is another loaded word. I was thinking oh, about yeah. that word today, you know, what, oh, that, you know, the Visuddhimagga is yeah, the path the of path purification. purification. Right, right. And, uh, you know, you can think of pure as in pure water or pure soap or something mm-hmm. like that, yeah, yeah. and it's got this really nice, uh, con- you know, the feeling about it. But you say pure, like racial makeup, and suddenly, <laughs> oh, oh God, you know, no. oh, yeah. <laughs> right? So, so when you know that, that I, I hear purification, and I'm, I, I, I am more likely to go to those negative kind of connotations <laughs> yeah, yeah. than I am the the, the positive ones. So, um, yeah, it's it's it doesn't it's just. Um, it's just these, this gunk that holds on to words that's yeah, hard to get away from. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, shall we read a little? Yeah, let's do it. Go ahead. Okay, so we did the introduction here. Let's do the summary. So I'm going to read the uh, the Bhikkhu Bodhi version rather than mine because I feel like it's a sure. much more word-for-word translation. Bhikkhus, I say that the destruction of the taints is for one who knows and sees, not for one who does not know and see. Who knows and sees what? Wise attention and unwise attention. When one attends unwisely, unarisen taints arise, and arisen taints increase. When one attends wisely, unarisen taints do not arise, and arisen taints are abandoned. Bhikkhus, there are taints that should be abandoned by seeing. There are taints that should be abandoned by restraining. There are taints that should be abandoned by using. There are taints that should be abandoned by enduring. There are taints that should be abandoned by avoiding. There are taints that should be abandoned by removing. And there are taints that should be abandoned by developing. Okay, so that's the summary. And then the rest of the sutta is just explaining mm-hmm. that. Just taking out each one of those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the Asava sutta, that uh, that one from the, uh, um, the uh, what was it? From, uh, Angutra. Angutra, yeah. Uh, what it's missing is that first paragraph. Mm-hmm. So it just goes straight into these are the things that should be abandoned by seeing. These are the things by restraining us and so on. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, it, it completely skips that. <clears throat> um, oh no! I'm sorry. It skips seeing. It skips seeing, the first seeing all together. Skips <laughs> seeing all, all, all together, uh, which is uh, it was interesting. Um, and what makes me think that maybe this is a composite sutta, or maybe the Asava sutta just takes part of it. But it looks like if you look at that first paragraph of the summary, I say the destruction attains for one who knows and sees, not for one who knows and sees. Mm-hmm. But then in the second paragraph, then now suddenly there are these seven things: mm-hmm. there are seeing, there's abandoning, there's restraining, there's mm-hmm. removing, all this. So um, uh, it, it strikes me as uh, that paragraph two doesn't follow from paragraph one. Maybe. The other way of looking at it is that all of those seven things come from knowing and seeing. You have to understand what's going on in order to be able to even consider yeah. removing or developing. I, I noticed, you know, I think it was in a footnote somewhere where, uh, I don't know where I picked it up, but they said, yeah, this this other suit is exactly like it, and the reason that they thought that the first one wasn't delivered in the other text was because... 
he's like, well, he's already talking to a group of monks, and they've already been established in this path and practice, and so they, mm. they already kind of understand that. But that was his, you know, note on it. Wouldn't that be wild if you, uh, if you had a teacher that would literally sometimes just say exactly the same words? <laughs> you go to different days and it's like, yeah. wait a minute, my notes look the same. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, uh, well, uh, that was, uh, yeah, in, uh, when uh, Ajahn Chanaka was here. He was talking about how Ajahn Chah would do that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right? He'd make the monks stay up all night. He'd give a right. lecture that would last four hours. It was just the same story over and over right. and over again. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes I hear the stories about Ajahn Chah, and I think, are, are, are we sure we're talking about somebody that's a nice guy here? Because that just sounds horrible to me. I mean, <laughs> um, I guess you had to be there. Yeah, I guess you had to be there. I, I, I think it was, uh, I was reading, uh, or maybe it was during that lecture, it was something else of his, uh, oh no, it was a Dharma talk that he gave online. Uh, it's on YouTube. And he was talking about how... Um, in the early days when uh, Ajahn Chah only had a few disciples and they were very, very dedicated, he said, uh, he said well, you know, guys, <clears throat> this isn't a monarchy, this is a democracy, so I'm going to let you decide for yourself. Uh, tonight, we're going to meditate all the way through the entire night, but you have your choice. You can do either a seated meditation or you can do walking meditation. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly the right way to handle children. <laughs> Give them a choice, but only two. It's not, what do you want to do tonight? That's right. <laughs> it's, uh, do you want to practice your piano or practice your violin? Those are your two choices. <laughs> You get to pick. It's on you. <laughs> it's on you. <laughs> right, right. Well, uh, you know, one thing that I, I, I like about this, so to right off the bat, is that um, I am always suspicious of any practice that just says, do this one thing and that's it. This works for everything. <laughs> and right off the bat here, you've got these seven different things. Fantastic. And it's not that you do all seven. It's that you do the one that's appropriate for whatever. At the time. At the but time. You are, you're absolutely doing all seven, but it's just different circumstances, you know. Right, right. Yeah. And it's possible that one doesn't come up for you. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and that you have different ways of, uh, of addressing different, different issues. Well, shall we look at the first one here? Yeah. What taints bhikkhus should be abandoned by seeing? Here bhikkhu is an untaught ordinary person who has no regard for noble ones and is unskilled and undisciplined in their dhamma, who has no regard for true men and is unskilled and undisciplined in their dhamma, does not understand that things are fit for attention and what things are unfit for attention. Since that is so, he attends to those things unfit for attention and does not attend to those things fit for attention. So this is a lot like what you mentioned before about uh, mindfulness mm -hmm. and the difference between um, a mindfulness that is just aware of whatever mm -hmm. and a mindfulness that is intentionally directed. Yeah. And uh, boy, that is the truth. Uh, you know, you can allow yourself to become really absorbed into things that are just very, very unhelpful. Mm -hmm. uh, I, it's not here, but somewhere there's a sutta where he talks about... Um, uh, you don't want to have the meditation of a of a dog uh, outside of a butcher. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that uh, that that's absorption, but not the right kind of absorption. Um, yeah, well, and he actually there was another one too, uh, where somebody comes. I can't remember. Maybe it's the Jhana Sutta or something like that. And he says, "Oh, I, you know, I heard the Blessed One talking, and he he praises all sorts of he plays all kinds of Jhana." He's oh no no, Blessed One doesn't praise all sorts of Jhana. Says so there's appropriate. He, he praises the right type of Jhana, right? 
he says there's the jhana absorbed with uh, drowsiness. There's jhana absorbed with sensual desire. There's jhana absorbed with uh, this and that and the other thing. He says, ah, all those are completely useless. You know, um, but yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, that there really is right and wrong mindfulness. Yeah. You know, if you take mindfulness to be, uh, you know, a close observation of a meditation subject, what you take up is really important. I'm, I'm sometimes um, amazed at the energy people put into the most bizarre things, you know, knowing the, the, the plot of every episode of the Dukes of Hazzards or something, you know, mm -hmm. that, that own, you know, the, uh, the, the, old, the old merchandise and haven't opened it and become, mm -hmm. become incredibly absorbed and fascinated by things that are useless. Right? Yeah. But you can also become incredibly absorbed and, and uh, fascinated by things that are positively harmful. Mm -hmm. uh, Absolutely. So uh, one, uh, I think that would be like clearly positively harmful would be, well, we are just talking about a, a, a race, you know, you, out of the woodwork this year, you've got people uh, that are just absorbed in these internet chat rooms that are, you know, just completely vile. Yeah. And you can allow yourself to kind of read that and become steeped in it and, you know, absorbed in it and fascinated by it and allow it to corrupt your mind. Yeah, no, that's no doubt. But the, the thing that, that gets me is that you can also do almost that exactly uh, almost that exact same thing with something that is theoretically wholesome. I, I, I know uh, a couple of people that are um, incredibly absorbed with Buddhist internet chat rooms mm -hmm. to the point where it's like, when do you have time to meditate? You're, yeah. you're arguing and talking with, the, with, with these chat rooms all day long, yeah. getting you know, angry at each other about uh, you know, what's really jhana and who really has it and who doesn't. And, uh, yeah, it's a, I mean, it's, it is. It's totally, I mean... Exactly like you said, <laughs> subjects unfit, inappropriate attention, you know, it's a bummer. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, it can also happen, you know, even with the best of intentions on the meditation cushion. It's, yeah. it's easy to get lost in uh, all kinds of thoughts and some mm -hmm. are going to be useful and some aren't. And uh, so I think this is what this is reminding us. Okay, so what things are unfit for attention that oh, he attends to? Things start to get really interesting here. Number one, internet chat rooms. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they are things such that when he attends to them, the unarisen taint of sensual desire arises in him, and the arisen taint of sensual desire increases. The unarisen taint of being arises in him, and the arisen taint of being increases. The unarisen taint of ignorance arises in him, and the arisen taint of ignorance increases. These are the things that are unfit for attention that he attends to. So you got three things here, sensual desire and being and ignorance. So I think sensual desire is, is sort of the, the easiest one. Yeah. I, I found myself uh, the, the other day I needed a shirt. And you think, okay, well, shirt, you know. So I go online. Okay, I guess it's got to be a business. Long sleeve, type it in Amazon. Well, you know, this... I don't know, but maybe I need moisture wicking. I don't know, what, what sort of fabric should I get? I, is this, you know, washable or not? And before long, I had kind of spent <laughs> an unpleasant amount of time trying to figure out what shirt I should get. And why do I, you know, and uh, uh, it occurred to me at some point that there's another section here that maybe more perfectly addresses this, but I, I, I probably was being swept away by something that, uh, clearly that was unimportant, yeah. but also for reasons of thinking like, wow, I want the most beautiful shirt. <laughs> <You know? laughs> sure, yeah. I've, I've already spent this much time on it. I might as well spend a lot more time. <laughs> a sunk cost fallacy right <laughs> exactly, there. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, uh, um, you know, any of these things can be, uh, it, it, it's not so much that buying a shirt is wrong. It's just that when you notice that, that thing arising in you, that desire, that kind of 
you know, what's going to be the most comfortable, what's going to be the most beautiful, what's, and, and uh, allow your, allowing your mind to be kind of swept away on that cloud. That's when it becomes dangerous, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, and once again, too, this is, uh, something interesting about this is that, uh, you know, this is basically the different wording of the Eightfold Path. So here we are. Yeah. This is, uh, you know, step six, right effort. Exactly, um, exactly. I think it's the most underappreciated step. I, think I would one, agree. Yeah. It's the one people get wrong the most, and it's the one that if you don't, and put it this way, if you don't get it right, then mindfulness is really difficult. Yeah, you know, you, you've got to be able to have some. You know, when people are talking about, I can't meditate, monkey mind, I can't. It's because they're not in the right frame of mind for for meditation. Well, I mean, I think it's also right effort is probably one of the more difficult. Um, practices as you talk about um, people being monastics versus being householders. Oh, yes. Um, because I think that uh, a lot of times, and this is connected and it's the next one, it's by restraining here, is that, uh, uh, but there's something important we got to get to before restraining. <laughs> but uh, uh, it's one of those things where, um, you know, the sense restraint is something that seems just is something that people don't want to practice at all <laughs> right it seems just absolutely ridiculous and puritanical and all this kind of stuff that's the word puritanical um, and um, and so that's that's where I, I think that you know if you're not practicing I mean sense restraint means that you start having an all-day practice essentially yeah right that you're it doesn't matter if you're on the cushion or if you're off the cushion you're practicing every single day all day basically more or less and um, that's the point where, well, I mean, some of these things that you thought were really nice and wonderful maybe start to lose some of their shininess. And it's something that people don't want. <laughs> they don't want that. But, I mean, the thing is, is that how can you build? I mean, if that becomes the foundation, that's the foundation, right? Uh, right effort is, right previous to right effort is uh, right livelihood, which, once again, too, gets a really kind of funky definition. Um, you know, uh, there are... The wrong livelihoods for householders, you know, involving trade in weapons, trade in slaves and cattle and all this kind of stuff. But when you read a lot of times what he's talking about with right livelihood, it's literally you're just supposed to beg because he's talking to monks. Right. You're not supposed to do anything else to support yourself other than begging, and you're only supposed to beg for one meal a day. And that's how you remove wrong livelihood from your life. Um, and uh, you know it was not, not going to work in, uh, in our context, <laughs> <laughs> right? Exactly, and that was one of the ones that uh, was most difficult for me when I started first started getting into contact with these texts and really, really reading. It was like, oh man, you know, I mean, clearly, you know, I teach violin for a living. That's clearly wrong livelihood under under most of the rules that he's talking about. If you talk about the rules for householders, it's no problem, you know. Right, right. But if you really start looking at what he's talking about, I'm like, oh, okay, this is complete, you know, this is animal arts, right? <laughs> you know, something I've struggled with uh, over the years, and I know you have too, is that you, we want to practice as, as diligently and earnestly as possible, but it just is it's just not possible to practice as a monk, as a lay person. You know? Yeah, you gotta you gotta pick and choose a little bit. And I mean, I think that you can get, I think that you can get really really good about it. Yeah. Um, I think that you can have a job <clears throat> that you earn a maximal amount in a minimal amount of time. Um, that once you walk away from it, you walk away from it. <laughs> um, that you get to set one of the things that's been really important for me, which I mean, maybe it's not in your case, but in, it, that you're not able to do. But you know, because I work for myself, um, essentially I set all the rules of my conduct, what I will and won't do. 
Hmm. Um, so, you know, for example, uh, I really, really try and hold to my five precepts. So that means if somebody asks me out for a drink, I'll be like, yeah, I'll go out for a Coke, but I'm not going to drink. Um, which, if I was in the business world, would be probably looked down upon. I teach at a dry campus. So yeah. that's oh, okay. That's <laughs> easier for you. I mean, another thing that I've said, too, and, and um, is like I just flat out, I refuse to lie. I won't lie. Mm-hmm. I will never tell a deliberate untruth. And so um, that, that means that there's times where, you know, if I were in a business context where I'd be expected to lie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Well, there's one for me that I, I found uh, really interesting when I started kind of diligently looking at it. Mm-hmm. Is I, I never thought of myself as a liar. Mm-hmm. But when you really look carefully... Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I, I was just in very small ways. Constant exaggerations, yeah. constant like little, oh, white lies, whatever. Oh, it's yeah. just marketing. Yeah, it's just marketing. <laughs> Positioning yourself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in an appropriate manner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, uh, I, I thought of that too. I, the, the other day I, I was in charge of setting up a uh, lunch for the faculty. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I had someone else do it for me. I approved the menu, but the menu includes meat. Mm-hmm. And I thought... Does that make me a meat seller in some way? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's not going to be appropriate for me to declare that the whole department is going to now vegetarian. be vegetarian. Yeah, exactly. But on the other hand, whew, that's, that's pretty close right there. Yeah. What about working for an institution that sells meat? Right, yeah. That's you know, thing. Uh, I'm not doing it myself, but right, right there on the, you know, right there with it. Yeah. So, you know... It's so entangled. It's, it does. It's, it's almost and, impossible to avoid. Yeah, that. I mean, too. So, like, and, and, you know, it's like what I do. I look at that and I can finagle, you know, like, okay, I teach music. Yeah, it's uh, it's lovely, but kind of pointless. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> but... But it's not like I'm not harming anybody. There you, know? you go. It's exactly. clearly not. It's clearly not weapons dealing or arms trading or poisons or intoxicants. It's none of those things. Right. You know, and so, but I mean, but most people, it's like, even at the jobs that they work, it's really hard. It, it's almost impossible for them to say, okay, honestly, this is what the company that I do works for, and I don't want to be a part of that. It's, that's too far in their practice. There's no way that they're going to do that, that they're going to leave what they're doing. Um, and so then, yeah, then you sit down and try and meditate, and it's, it's going to be a whole host of issues. You know? Right, and, and the, you know, while it's absolutely true that we'll never fully extract ourselves from, from, from the world, it doesn't mean that you don't have to pay the karmic consequences of that. Yeah. <laughs> And that the, the easiest place to see that is when you sit down yeah. and your mind is flooded with these worries and doubts and things. And that comes from all these ways you behave during the day. Yep. And it's, it's no one's doing it to you. You just realize, <laughs> oh, my God, I'm doing it to myself. This is, this is, what, I've done. Yeah. Uh, this is what I've done to myself. <laughs> yeah. The, the, in a way, the, 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 the other part of it is when you're in a family, the choices that you make are not just for yourself, but also for you know, the other people in the family. So uh, my wife's not Buddhist. She's not vegetarian. She's not, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so again, I can't make those choices for her. No, no. And I can't make those choices unilaterally for my kids. No, no, absolutely not. So uh, so it's, you know, it's a, it's a negotiation. We do the best we can and understand we live in samsara. And, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, too, with the meat, like, uh, you know, uh, he doesn't ever tell, I mean, as, as far as I can remember, he doesn't ever tell householders they can't eat meat. That's exactly right. Um, he does say that they should not be involved in butchery, that mm-hmm. no animals should be killed specifically for them. Or sold by them. Or sold by them. But uh, but as far as eating meat, and I mean, and if you really look at it too, you know, I mean, I choose to be vegetarian. 
But uh, if you really look at what's going on here is, okay, I am one customer among billions. <laughs> um, and when I go to the grocery store, that meat is sitting there. It's already been killed. It has not been killed specifically for me, right? Taking that, it's, you know, more or less, I mean, it is paying for it. But, I mean, nobody would argue that if you saw, um, you know, a deer's head just get taken off by a semi on the side of the road, that it would be bad comma to pick that thing up, stick it in the back of your truck, go home and butcher it. That would be a little gross. It would be uh, gross. <laughs> It'd be gross, but I don't think anybody's going to argue no. that that's, that's wrong use of that deer. Not at all. And so, you know, there, there's obviously issues along the supply chain, and like I said, I, I choose to try and st- steer clear of that as much as possible. Now, of course, I still eat meat, or I still eat uh, cheese and milk. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Oh, there's huge problems with that. Eggs. Uh, yep, eggs, mm-hmm. huge problems with that. Even, you know, you try and go as ethical as you can on eggs, still huge problems with it. Um, and even you know, vegetables, uh, how many animals and insects and things are killed for farming practices, and that's just the way that it is. And, you oh, know, yeah, try to try to have a garden without uh, killing any animals. That's and right. It's, it's, it's tough. It's, it's tough. really tough. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, part of it is that you, you try and take yourself out of it as much as possible, but understand that you, even if you're a monk, you're still in it. You know, um, it's something every time you're putting something in your mouth, uh, something's dying for that. <laughs> I'll give you an example. We uh, we raised some chickens. My wife raises chickens, mm-hmm. and uh, she has a bunch of them, and they were starting to get uh, killed by uh, apparently coyote. Mm. And uh, so he, he was just one by one picking them off, and yeah. it was it was really a shame. You know, my my kids had named some of these chickens, and yeah. you know we'd we'd raised them, at, you know, in our home. One of them, the shell got broken. He literally was, uh, you know, my wife cradled it and kept it in our bed, and the, mm-hmm. the shell, you know, was born in our bed, and uh, <laughs> these sweet little things getting uh, getting killed one by one in a really yeah. kind of horrifying, gruesome, violent, yeah. gruesome way by this uh, by this coyote. So then, what do you do? Do you kill the coyote? Do you allow the chickens to be picked off one by one? Well, I mean, in my case, I'd say build a better fence. Build a better fence. You know, we, we did indeed build, like, several better fences. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, anytime there was a storm, you would be able to, you know, we could dig. It was, uh, sure, we, yeah. we put our dog out there to try to defend them. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, it was, uh, it was not my decision to make to yeah. hurt chickens. But I felt very conflicted by this. How, how do we protect these uh, these precious little animals in our care, mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time <laughs> avoid yeah. this uh, this non killing? Yeah. The result was she found a a, <laughs> a Chinese uh, hunter in northern Minnesota who uh, came down and shot him with a. Um, uh, I don't even know what it is, like a training bullet, yeah. like a non-lethal training bullet, yeah. and it didn't come back. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's permanent, but... Uh, man, that's, uh, I think that's that's right on the right track, man. That's what you need to be doing. <laughs> Not exactly non-harming, but it gets, you know, yeah, that's the ballpark. Yeah, that's pretty close, man. That's cool. Um, well, we're pretty far afield. From... Yeah, we're far afield. That's all right. That's yeah, this next paragraph is the one that I think is probably uh, the most important uh, as far as... Uh, what this means for the Dhamma and what we see in the world of Dhamma today and what we've seen for the last 2,500 years. Wow, okay. Yeah. Well, I, I, so um, we left off. We, we, we talked about sensual desire. We hadn't talked about being or ignorance. Mm-hmm. Um, I think being is maybe more precisely described a little bit later here, and I think that's the, that might be that next paragraph you were talking sure. about. Mm-hmm. And then ignorance, uh, you know, I... I don't know. Do you want to say anything about ignorance? Oh, I think we've uh, yeah <laughs> we've covered that in the past pretty extensively. I I, I yeah. agree. Okay, so um, 
talking about repetition, I'll go ahead and read it if that's what we're doing. Uh, what are things fit for attention that he does not attend to? They are things such as that when he attends to them, the unarisen taint of sensual desire does not arise in him, and the arisen taint of sensual desire is abandoned. So just like with the uh, uh, right effort, it's those yep. four things, yeah, exactly as you're saying. The unarisen taint of being does not arise in him, and the arisen taint of being is abandoned. The unarisen taint of ignorance does not arise in him, and the arisen taint of ignorance is abandoned. These are the things fit for attention that he does not attend to. By attending to these things unfit for attention, and by not attending to those things fit for attention, both unarisen taints arise in him, and arisen taints increase.